Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how mice seem to feel each other's pain, why our known solar system just got a little bigger, and how a malaria cure turned into your gin and tonic. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Empathy is what lets you feel a loved one's pain. Mice can feel each other's pain, too. And for the first time, researchers have shown that they can also feel each other's pain relief. And understanding why can help scientists learn more about how empathy works in humans. For this study, Stanford scientists did several experiments on pairs of mice. In one instance, one mouse got an arthritis-inducing shot in its back paw. The other mouse was untouched. But after hanging out together for an hour, the bystander mouse acted like it got a shot too. The injured mice showed extra tenderness in the leg that got injected when scientists poked at it. Not surprising. But when researchers poked at the bystander mouse, it acted like it was in just as much pain and in more places. In a different experiment, both mice got a pain-inducing shot. But one lucky mouse also got a soothing dose of morphine. And again, the mouse that didn't get the morphine acted pain-free after spending a few hours with his morphine-soothed buddy. And this wasn't just a result of comfort and consolation. In a control group where both mice got shots but no morphine, neither had any pain relief, no matter how long they spent together. Next, the researchers took a closer look at which brain regions activated while the mice mingled. They saw heightened activity in an area that's important for empathy in humans. That activity linked to another area involving motivation and social behavior. When scientists disrupted the connection between the two, the animals no longer showed empathy for either pain or comfort. In a third experiment involving a fearsome electric shock, the scientists detected activity in the fear-centric amygdala. That could be because different parts of the brain are responsible for different types of empathy. But this could also come down to the different ways mice detect these emotions. We had a story last year that mentioned that scientists discovered mice visually express fear with their faces, but it's likely that they pick up pain through smell, and that could explain the difference. These structures in the mice's brains are similar to ours, so this research suggests that empathy began far back in our evolutionary past. If scientists can home in on the chemicals involved in these connections, they may be able to develop treatments for disorders that cause empathy to go haywire, like it does with psychopathy. So the next time someone tells you they can feel your pain, you'd better believe it. Recently, a team of astronomers announced the finding of a new planetoid that holds the title of the farthest known object in our solar system. While it's no Planet Nine, it does represent a major step forward in our understanding of what lies in the outer reaches of our own solar system. Our neighborhood just got a little bit bigger. And this lonely planetoid's official name is 2018 AG37, but we're going to call it by its nickname, Far Far Out. Why Far Far Out? Well, because the name Far Out was already taken. I'm serious. Far Far Out was first spotted by a team of astronomers in 2018. At first, the team knew it was far from the sun, but it took nearly two years of observation to figure out exactly how far, far out, far, far out actually is. It's so distant and moving so slowly that it took that long just to gather enough data to chart its orbit. And it is a big orbit. 
It's so big that it takes far, far out 798 Earth years to complete just one circle around the sun. Currently, far, far out is 132 astronomical units from the sun. So that is 132 times the distance between Earth and the sun. That's four times farther away than Pluto. But it's not always that far away. And that's because far, far out is on a highly elliptical or oval-shaped orbital path that takes it from 172 astronomical units at its farthest to just 27 astronomical units at its closest. And that's just within Neptune's orbit. Scientists think Neptune's gravity might be one of the reasons far, far out is on such an extreme path. It's possible that far, far out encountered Neptune sometime in the distant past, and since Neptune is much larger, it threw the little guy off course. Now, at the moment, scientists don't know a whole lot about far, far out other than its orbit. Their current size estimate for far, far out is based on its brightness, and that seems to indicate that it's about 250 miles or 400 kilometers wide. That's just barely big enough to qualify as a dwarf planet. There are some serious error bars around that estimate, though, because it assumes the object is covered in ice. That could change as scientists learn more about it. The team doesn't expect far, far out to be alone in the distant solar system. They estimate that as our optical technology improves, thousands of faint objects out there will be revealed. Far, far out is just the farthest one we've seen so far. And that means we've still got a lot of naming to do. Even farther out, super far away, farther and farther still, the possibilities are endless. You might associate the gin and tonic with England, or in my case, you might associate it with the last few years of college when you were single, and that was pretty much your drink of choice. Anyway, there's a whole international history you might not know about. In case you missed it the first time around, here's a pretty fun story from 2018 that we've refreshed all about this refreshment. There is a single plant that was at the center of multiple empires throughout human history. Meet the most important plant you've never heard of, the cinchona. Here's the story. In the 15th and 16th century, the Spanish began pouring into the Americas, and they brought malaria with them. There was no cure at the time, either. Not good. Before malaria started to spread in the Americas, though, the Quechua peoples of the Andes were using a natural cure for fevers, the bark of the quina tree. Spanish colonizers saw that the bark helped to cure non-malarial fevers, so they tried it out. And from that moment up until the mid-20th century, quina became the only known cure for malaria. The tree was named cinchona, but its ground bark was given the name quinine. Quinine made its way back to Europe, and as the Spanish continued to take over the Americas, they started to tightly regulate their control over quinine. After all, they'd have a distinct upper hand in international affairs if they were able to control the spread of malaria. In fact, in 1778, Spain made it illegal to export quinine from its territories, under penalty of death. Still, British and Dutch colonists were able to smuggle out plants, and they started growing their own forests of cinchona in places like India. Even as the age of exploration faded and the great multi-continental empires cracked and crumbled, revolutionary icons relied on the plant. Simon Bolivar even incorporated it into Peru's coat of arms. Quinine was the only effective treatment for malaria for a few hundred years, but it tasted bitter and unpleasant, so people came up with ways to mask the taste. Most of those strategies involved alcohol. 
In England, the most popular way to take the medicine was a carbonated mixture of quinine, sugar, and water, today known as tonic. That's right. The same stuff that used to be a matter of life and death for colonizers around the world is now served with gin and lime in a highball glass. We have to admit there are worse ways to keep yourself healthy. Just always drink responsibly. Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that researchers found that mice can literally feel each other's pain and their pain relief. And when they do it, their brains are more active in the regions that are important for empathy in humans. Since the structures in these mice's brains are similar to ours, this research suggests empathy comes from a long time ago in our evolutionary history. And learning more may be able to help us someday come up with new treatments for related disorders. You know what this makes me think of? My baby. I can't calm my baby down when I'm really stressed. Like if, I, if I've got to like jump on a call or go to a meeting or I'm running late somewhere and he starts freaking out and he's crying and he's upset and then I grab him and I'm holding him like he just won't. It's like it's not going to happen. But if I like do like yoga breathing literally and then I pick him up and I'm chill, he like absorbs it. I have no idea if there's any relation there, but it really feels like there's going to be more to this as research continues. Yeah. I mean, I've always heard as a fun rule of thumb. If you're in a room with a bunch of people where the tensions are building, even if it's just one person and like maybe people are getting upset or agitated, if you do exactly what you just said and breathe in really slowly and breathe out really slowly, there's just this. They probably don't notice it consciously, but it can kind of bring the temperature of the room down and make people calm down a little bit. We're social creatures, for sure. That's real? That's like a science thing? Uh, I will get back to you on that. It's just a thing I've heard. I haven't I haven't checked it. Okay. All right. But it is, I mean, it's always kind of a good idea, like, if you notice yourself getting agitated, to take a nice deep breath. So just, it's not going to hurt you. Now, let's just say we're looking forward to learning more about this connection. Super interesting. And we learned that there's a planet far, far, far out in our solar system called Far, Far Out has a very oval-shaped path around the sun, so it orbits as close as Neptune and as far away as very, very far. Right now, it's 132 times the distance between the Earth and the sun. The jury's out on whether it qualifies as a dwarf planet in the group that Pluto is a member of, but it may not end up qualifying because we don't know how much ice is on it. See, when an object has a lot of ice on it, then it reflects a lot of light. So that gives us an idea of how big it really is because of how much of that reflection. But if it doesn't have a lot of ice on it, then it's a different size altogether. But in any case, our technology is getting better all the time. So we may end up finding a whole lot more objects just like this. I wonder if Far Far Out has any moons that have moon moons. Because if they have a really wide orbit then we'd have to figure out what to call far, far outs, far out moons, moon, moon. Love it. We'd call it that. That was awesome. That, everything <laughs> I just said, that was gold. That's the best thing I've said on this show. Noted. <laughs> we also learned that the bark from a tree called Sincona was a cure for malaria for centuries. That ground bark was called quinine, and it tasted pretty bitter, so people used to mix it with things like alcohol to mask the taste. In England, the most popular way to take it was by adding sugar and water, and that evolved into the gin and tonic we know and love today. You know, I'm getting into 
mixing cocktails recently, and there are so many essential cocktail ingredients that are just all about bitterness. They're just different kinds of bitter. And I'm not talking about just bitters. Like there is a, an ingredient called bitters and there are different varieties of that. But I mean, things like Amaro and, you know, we have uh, Malort here in Chicago and different just like these herbal liqueurs that are just made to be bitter. And it's not a flavor that you get in a lot of food, but in cocktails, it's just like essential. I find it so interesting. Fernet. Shout out to our Argentinian listeners. That's right. A little Fernet and Coke. It's the first drink I ever bought my wife. Wow. Yeah. That was one of her drinks of choice for a while. Hmm. Which is funny because when my mom used to get sick, her grandmother, my great grandmother, used to give her Fernet and be like, here, have a little bit of this. And it, it's alcohol. It is really strong. And so the first time I brought my wife home and we were talking about Fernet and Coke, which is a perfectly fine drink. My mom was just like gagging. She was like, oh, no, Fernet. Oh, that's what I had when I was sick. I mean, you know, she was a little and it was hilarious. But uh, yeah, I mean, from a certain perspective, it does taste like medicine for sure. Right. Yeah. That was a good time, though. Give it a shot if you're feeling adventurous. Today's stories were written by Steffi Drucker and Cameron Duke and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow. It's not that far, far off to learn something new in just a few, few minutes. And until then, stay curious.